Our Bible reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 4. What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised? or uncircumcised. It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised, so that righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith, faith our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham, or to his descendants, that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, Faith is made empty and the promise nullified because the law produces wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace, to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to the one who is of the law, but also to the one who is of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith, when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about a hundred years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised he was also able to do. Therefore it was credited to him for righteousness. Now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us, 
It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jeanette. Now, Romans chapter 4 reads a little bit like um, a, uh, a summation of a lawyer in a law court about some obscure piece of legislation somewhere um, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to us normal people. And so let's uh, pray that God would give us insight into what we've just read, and then we're going to explore it together uh, as, we, uh, as we look at this text together. So let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we want to come before you, recognizing that this is your word, and that we are people of the word. And so we want to pray that, uh, that you will um, make this word, take it, uh, put it deep in our hearts, make it alive in us, remove any barriers from our minds so that we will understand the message you have for us this morning. Through your spirit, O oh Lord, may you um, change our hearts and change our minds as well so that we will live in accordance to your will. So we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, last week we looked at how the whole world uh, stands condemned before God uh, because he has revealed himself, uh, enough of himself in nature uh, for us to know and understand him. Um, and so, in that, Paul, the author of Romans, has been showing, he started showing his readers that particularly the Gentile nations are guilty before God. For even though they saw enough of God in creation, they, uh, they still rejected God and they are responsible for rejecting him. He showed us how he had revealed enough of himself that uh, people should have come to seek him, to recognize him through his creation. But nevertheless, the Gentile world chased after idols instead. They worshipped other gods. They made up these gods, these idols, instead of worshipping the true God. And as a result, the Gentile world, the world is justly liable before God. And then we can almost imagine the Jewish readers who would read a passage like this sitting there and nodding their heads to Paul's argument. They would say, yes, these godless Gentiles, they clearly are guilty because they've rejected God. They are degenerates. They are sinners. They justly deserve God's judgment. I mean, just look at the way they live. But what Paul is saying here is that actually, brothers, we are no better. The Jewish nation is just as guilty before God, for although we have the law, although we had the promises, although we were uh, Israel, we had all the gifts, we were part of God's covenant people, nevertheless, we continually disobeyed God's law. The Jews are equally guilty. They are equally judged by God, because even though um, they, we thought we'd obeyed the law, we fell far short of what God had required of us. Paul in Romans then shows us that there is no one in the world, no one ever, in fact, in all of history, apart from Jesus, who was guiltless before God. And then here he says, but there is an answer to this problem. So not only are the, the Gentiles guilty, the Jews are guilty, 
Everyone's guilty except for Christ, but there is an answer. How can we be saved? How can anyone bear God's wrath? And at the end of the chapter that comes just before this one, we saw that uh, the answer to that is justification through faith. So we are made right before God in our faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. Um, It is a declaration by God that we stand justified before him, that we are considered to be not guilty based on the gift of faith which God gives us. But now what does this justification do? What does our faith, what's the nature of that faith justification in our lives? That's really the question we're going to be looking at. And so um, in, in our little booklet, I've titled this Justified by Faith, but really the title is probably a little bit wrong. It should be, what is the implication of our justification to our lives as God's people? And so um, when we look at that, what we will find is that our justification gives us a new family. It puts us into a new family. So we read, for example, uh, in verse 1, so he's just, uh, Paul has just explained about how justification in faith by Christ, in Christ's work uh, works, and he says, so what? What shall we say then? that Abram, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. If he was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does Scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was credited to him uh, for righteousness. And then in verse 9, it says, Is this blessing only for the circumcised, only for the Jews then? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abram for righteousness. In what way was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? No, it was not while he was circumcised, but while he was uncircumcised. And then verse 12. And he became the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham, while he was still uncircumcised. Now, the argument there is... um, that Abram's faith is like when you believe, you become part of the family of Abraham. What's happening here is that Paul is starting to make a claim about what happens to us when we are justified by faith. You see, the Jewish people believed that they were, uh, because of their physical descent from Abram, they were his physical children, that they had inherited God's promise as his children. Now, We are modern Western people and we don't really understand the significance of this because we live in such an individualistic culture. We don't really understand how big of a thing this was for the Jewish uh, Israelite people. To get it, to understand what exactly it meant for them, we have to think back to the promise that was made uh, to Abram. You see, the promise referred to here is the one that God had made back in Genesis 12 and Genesis chapter 15. What the Jews of the day believed was that Abram could be righteous by virtue of his good works. And when you read the, the writings of the rabbis at the time, you, you will find that they considered to be, uh, Abram to be this, um, this holy man who was a great example of living rightly, living in a godly way. They believed, in effect, that God made this covenant with Abram on the basis of Abram subconsciously, obeying God's law. Some, in fact, believed that Abram was so holy and so righteous that even though he didn't have the law of God, which came some centuries later, 
He nevertheless obeyed God's law simply because he was a good man. But when you actually read the book of Genesis, you see that this is simply just not the case. There is this man, Abram, whom God calls and tells him to look at the stars. And he says to him, see that as many stars as there are in the sky, so many will your descendants be. I will make you into a father, a father of many nations and the whole world will be blessed through you. And yet Abram was an old man, his wife Sarah was barren, and this promise that God made to them seems impossible. And yet Abram believes in the promise and that is what is credited to him for righteousness. Abraham didn't have to do anything special to get that promise. He didn't live a particularly holy life. He wasn't actually that much better than the people of the day. But in his wisdom, God chose Abraham to be the father of the promise. That all life would be blessed, all nations would be blessed through his offspring. And this promise of being a blessing to the nation became this identity to the Jewish people. They believed that they were something special simply because they were descendants of Abraham. And as we've been following through the story of Israel, we simply saw that that just wasn't the case. They continually rejected God. They continually didn't achieve their purpose to be this light to the nations, this blessing to the world. And so Paul says here, no, you are not an heir by virtue of your birth as, a, as an Israelite, as a Jew. You are not part of God's family because of your bloodline. That's not how this promise works. That's not how God's family works. The promise, uh, the, the promise family is a family of faith. It was by Abram's faith that he was credited, uh, that, that was credited to him as righteousness. Being part of this family on the basis of, uh, is on the basis of the promise, on the gift of God. It's not on the basis of works. It's not on the basis of physical descent. It's actually not on the basis of anything else other than faith in God's work. Faith in the promise for Abram. Now what was this promise? What was this promise of God? Was it a promise only that God would multiply Abram's descendants? Was it a promise only that Israel would become a great and mighty nation? Was it a promise only that there would be many Israelites? Is that the promise that Abram believed in, that God credited to him as righteousness? Well, no, friends. The promise that Abram believed, the content, if you will, of his faith, was really... Christ was really appointed to Jesus himself. All the nations would be blessed through you. This is what God says to, to Abram. And as we've seen, that was a promise that ultimately points us to Christ Jesus. Abram was saved in the same way as we are saved today. It is the same faith that we are saved by. It is faith in Christ Jesus. Yes, the Israelites who trusted the, the priestly system, the sacrificial system, they were saved by faith, but it is the faith in the same ultimate thing as we are saved in. It's not the blood of the animal 
But it is the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, that, we are, that they are saved with, that we are saved with. It is the same faith that Abram believes when he believes in the promise. Ultimately, the content of it pointed to Christ Jesus. In that way, our father Abraham believed in a way in Christ Jesus. Now, he did not have a name for him. He did not understand the full picture as of yet. But the Israelites who had faith are saved in the same way as we are, by faith in Christ. Even though they, they believed only in the pointers to him. In essence, our faith is the same faith regardless of what time period in redemption history we live in. And when we believe in Jesus then, we are part of Abram's family. We are part of the family of faith, part of the children of the promise. There is a great Sunday school song, isn't there? Father Abraham had many sons and I am one of them and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. That's true. That's true. So do you see, friends, that when you come to believe in Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in him, that, that your sins are forgiven by his work on the cross, do you see that you join a family, a, a red family, a blood family, a promise family? You inherit eternal life as a result of being part of that family, but you also inherit all your brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the commentators on this passage opens his chapter on, on this chapter, his chapter on this chapter, with the story of a little boy who was an orphan. And this little boy lived in an orphanage for many years, and then he found out that finally he was getting adopted. And this filled him with hope, but it filled him with fear at the same time. He was hopeful because he would finally fit in somewhere. Finally, he would have a home. He would have a family. He was hopeful because at last he would have a place to call his own. He was hopeful because finally he would fit somewhere. He would belong somewhere. He would have a family. But at the same time, this little boy was fearful. Because what kind of family was this, really? Were they good people? Were they friendly? Were they cranky? How would he be loved? Even though he would have a family, would he be accepted? Would he fit in? These are the questions that go through this little boy's mind. And in some ways, when we come to believe in Jesus, when we, when we come to have faith in Christ, we can be a little bit like that orphan boy. We find ourselves in a family that are made up of all kinds of, frankly, a little bit strange people. Some are good, some are friendly, some are joyful, some are depressing, some are difficult, some are rude. But we are all joined by blood. Jesus' blood. We inherit a family when we trust in Christ. And that's the first thing that we need to understand this morning. When we come to believe, when we are justified by faith, we get a family in Christ. 
And I've said this before, uh, but we have more in common with a Christian who lives in a, in a jungle somewhere, in a mud hut somewhere, doesn't even have clean running water. We have more in common with that person than the, than the one who lives next to us, our neighbour, who doesn't believe in Jesus but drives the same car, kids are in the same school, does the same type of work we do. Because we are family and we are not. And so we get a family. Now, next thing we need to think about, what's the benefits? Why is it good to be part of this family? What's the benefit to be part of the family of Christ? We look here from verse 13. For the promise to Abraham uh, and to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise is nullified because the law produces wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace, to guarantee it to all descendants, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of Abram's faith. He is the father to us all. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. Now, family comes with responsibility. Uh, prior to a few years ago, uh, I used to have a great family name, Pretorius. When you walked into our home uh, in, in Roval there, you would see our family crest. And there's a, our family crest has a judge sitting on, uh, on a chair and uh, because the family, the, the, the Pretorius family originated uh, from a magistrate uh, who, and, and that's kind of our history. Pretoria, the city, is named after the Pretorius family. Not my direct ancestors, but slightly to the left. My great, 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 great uncle was the brother of the man after whom the city was named. So we're sort of okay. Um, <clears throat> but then we moved to Australia, and instead of there being Pretoriuses everywhere, they were nowhere. Uh, and being part of the family line really meant nothing. Uh, and it makes perfect sense in a way, because my family has nothing to do with Australia or its founding. But being a Pretorius meant something in South Africa. But nowadays, if I produce my, uh, introduce myself as a Pretorius, the first, people often are, first thing people often ask me is if I'm related to Oscar. Uh, who is a Pistorius, by the way, which is a completely different name. Uh, I used to belong to an illustrious family, but somehow um, now my family reminds people of someone who murdered their girlfriend. Um, but being part of a family means something. It, it carries something, doesn't it? There are benefits to being part of a family. And that is just as true when you are part of a Christian family, being a child of God, being a believer. Paul lists the benefits for us. He gives us uh, two particularly in this text. and um, Oh, sorry, three. He gives us three. The first one is that we are part of the family through our righteousness. Uh, sorry, we inherit righteousness through our faith because we're part of the family. The second benefit is assurance in times of trouble. And the third benefit is life. So, Righteousness through faith. He says in verse 13, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. The biggest benefit of being part of the family of God 
is that you are declared righteous before God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. You get to stand before God washed clean. Your sins no longer counted against you. It makes a world of difference. You inherit, in fact, the world. When you become a believer in Christ, the Bible says you are adopted into God's family. You become co-heirs with Christ. You become co-inheritors of the world. We, as God's people, as people in Christ, will ultimately share dominion over this world as a result of Jesus' death on the cross because we are in Christ. It is something to look forward to. But far better than all the goodies that we get because we happen to be in Christ is the fact that we can stand before God completely free from fear over His wrath over our sin. Boldly we can approach His throne. We have been declared righteous before Him. We have a righteousness through faith. It's a pretty good benefit. The second benefit is that we have assurance in times of trouble. Verse 16, this is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace, to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of Abraham's faith. Now, I don't know if you are like me, but I suspect you are. And I, our reality is that sometimes we doubt, don't we? We doubt our faith at some point. We do. We ask questions like, what if I'm not saved? What if my life doesn't look like the good Christian life is supposed to look like? Which, by the way, is all of us. What about the fact that I have this stubborn sin that just seems to get me every time? Why can't I get rid of that? Is that because the Holy Spirit is not really in me? Is that because my faith is not strong enough? What does that say about my eternal state before God? Isn't the Holy Spirit supposed to deal with my heart, with my sin? And if he doesn't, am I even saved at all? What about the fact that I find it so difficult to share the gospel with my friends and family? Shouldn't my zeal for Christ, for loving Jesus, have overcome these things by now? How saved am I really? And what about the fact that even though I know God's law, I know what is good and what is righteous and what is holy, why knowing all these things do I still go and do the things that are against it? Why do you and I chase after the things we know are bad for us? And why is it that we never seem to be quite as holy or as good or as Christian-y as that nice lady I know from church? And when I look at all these things, am I even really saved? We doubt, friends, do we not? 
at some point in time, we all ask these questions. But do you see the irony of the situation? There's almost an amusing irony to all this because when you ask these sorts of questions, uh, we are actually trying to measure our salvation by our works, are we not? We know that we come to God as hopeless sinners with nothing to recommend us. And then we measure how saved we really are by how good we really are. That's funny in a depressing sort of way. It is true <coughs> that over the span of our lives, all believers will become more and more holy people. We will turn more and more uh, from our sin. We will more and more look like that good Christian lady I know from church. But when we measure our salvation, our standing before God by our good works, we have fallen right into the trap that we started out with. Because the reality is that you and I can do nothing to make God accept us more or love us more or love us in the first place and there's nothing that you and I can do as a believer to make God love us any less. Our standing before God, our righteousness, how clean our slate is, is not on the basis of our works but God's grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it, nothing else, the end. No amount of Bible reading or lack thereof will separate you from the love of God. No amount of prayer or lack thereof will separate you from the love of God. That is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants who come by faith. If you believe in Jesus, you have the promise. And that's it. Guaranteed. Being part of the family means we have assurance during our times of doubt. Now, let me hasten to add... I'm not saying you shouldn't read your Bible, you shouldn't pray, you shouldn't invest in your relationship with God. I'm not saying that. Those things are very important. They shape you, they spiritually form you, but they are not the basis of your salvation. This is a basis of salvation sermon, not a sanctification sermon, all right? Let's just be clear about that. Finally, the benefit is life. So we get righteousness, we have assurance... Finally, the benefit is life. Verse 17. He is our father in God's sight, in whom Abram believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls all things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so will your descendants be. Now, the Bible talks about the act of conversion, the um, coming to faith, as a as a transfer uh, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. There is a process that is taking something that is dead, us, 
making it alive and putting it into the kingdom of life. Now, a few years ago, probably maybe three years ago now, uh, it seemed like the great hip-hop rapper king, Kanye West, became a Christian. It seems, several years later, that he still is a Christian, which is great, right? Now, when he was initially questioned by people he would, uh, on, on how legitimate his conversion was, he would say this, when you are asleep, you don't realise that you're asleep. But when you wake up, you know that you are awake and you know what it was like to be asleep. And he calls people who don't have Jesus in their lives zombies, the walking dead. And he is right. What happens when we come to faith is that our dead selves are taken by God. He creates life in us that was not there before. He takes out our hearts of stone. He gives us hearts, living hearts of flesh. He melts our cold, lifeless selves and he gives us life and puts us into the kingdom of life. What a gift. But that life is eternal life. It's not just a gift in this life where we have a sense of purpose and we know what it feels to belong and and have a reason for getting up in the morning. Yes, it's that too. But it is more than that. It is eternal life. It's a life we get to spend with God in all eternity. When we come to Christ in Jesus, when we accept this free gift of life he gives, when he has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, when we enter into his, uh, his life, we get eternal life, eternal rest, eternal significance. 1 Peter says it this way, it is into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us, guarded by the power of God. That's a benefit of being part of God's family. It is a statement by God that you are clean forever, that no matter how well or poorly you think you're doing in this life, that you are right before him because of Jesus' work on the cross and that you will live with him forever. Assurance that no matter how badly you stuff up in life, your standing before God can never change because it is guarded by God's own power. Wow. Let's pray. Lord, what a gift you've given us to make us part of the family of God, part of the family of the promise through faith in Jesus Christ. That you have declared us clean before you. That you've given us the righteousness of Christ, dressed us in it and taken away the filthy rags of this life that we've come before you with. Lord, what a gift it is to know that we can boldly stand before the throne knowing that we are clean. What a gift you give us in assuring us of our faith regardless of how difficult our situation is right now knowing that uh, our salvation is secure 
because of what you have done on the cross and the fact that you are guarding it through your own mighty power kept in heaven for us. Thank you, O Lord, that we get to spend our eternal lives seeing, reflecting and worshipping you for all of this and for who you are. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.